0: Speaking of Twitter, a new report came out today in part by the Stanford Internet Observatory, which is a really fascinating organization. They do a lot of work on trying to figure out social media trends and how people use social media to try to do a bunch of things, including so misinformation and disinformation around election time. Of course, we're there in America now. They're heading into their midterms a week from today. Um, Well... They found, they have a new report out today, and they found some interesting stuff. Have you ever wondered how this worked? So they went in and looked at, uh, this is Twitter data, so Twitter was involved in this as well. Uh, They found uh, that um, some accounts, three based in China, three based in Iran, trying to influence American politics in the run-up to the midterms by amplifying polarizing content. This is the part that I found so interesting. They don't really pick one side or the other specifically, although they do to some extent. you you'll understand that more progressive forces are probably better for Iran when it comes to some sort of deal with Iran, uh, whereas uh, you know more right-wing forces are probably more aligned with China when it comes to things like Taiwan, for instance, maybe. So what they found is that they that in these cases these these Twitter accounts, which were found to, to be not what they said they were, We're amplifying polarizing arguments in America. They do it here too, by the way. One Twitter account, for example, called Ultra Maga Bella Hot Babe, it's quite the name, posted about voter fraud, while another called Salome Cliff praised President Biden. Well, it turns out they were both part of the same China-based operation. An Iran-based network leveraged mostly liberal personas to amass nearly twenty-five thousand followers and millions of likes on its tweets, which say interspersed liberal anti-Trump messaging with harsh anti-Israel slogans, you can see what Iran might have been up to there. So again, what should we know about the countries that are out there trying to harm our democracies? How are they changing their tactics? How do they use social media to influence that? Joining me now with more on that is Renee Resta. She's a writer and research manager with the Stanford Internet Observatory. Thanks for your time tonight.
1: Thanks for having me, Ben.
0: So what does the Internet Observatory do, precisely? It's a fascinating work.
1: Uh, Yeah, so we're a a multidisciplinary team that studies use and abuse of current information technologies. And what that means is sometimes we're looking at trust and safety issues on the Internet, you know, how people experience, particularly the social web. Sometimes we're looking at... um, topics related to information integrity, like mis- and disinformation. Uh, sometimes we're looking at ways that new technologies, like emerging platforms or new, uh, newly accessible types of AI, like DALI, for example, mm. um, change the way that the information ecosystem kind of connects. So ways that information move or hop from one platform to another, what people can do on the internet, and how they experience it. And then we think about ways that policy relates to all of these different areas and how to think about the internet as a system.
0: When you look at the way, for instance, something like disinformation or misinformation spreads, is it a bit like a weather map? Do you see it sort of move around in in, (laughs) what does it look like when when that happens?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think the uh, proper academic term is like information cascades, um, ways in which content moves both within platforms and across platforms. Um, So there are certain ways in which platform algorithms uh, decide what information is going to be shown to people and then in turn people decide what they're going to do with the information that they see. So sometimes it is uh, a curation or recommendation or trending algorithm that kind of pushes content into your feed uh, and that's how you discover it. Other times it's something that you've seen and you want to go and share And oftentimes when it is users who are participating in that sharing process, they have accounts on multiple sites. And so that's kind of how content hops uh, from platform to platform. Somebody sees something interesting on uh, Twitter and maybe they share it to Facebook or they make a video on TikTok and then they post it to Instagram. Um, So there's that kind of cross platform pan information system dynamic um, that each of us who uses social media and has multiple types of accounts is a participant in.
0: How busy a time is it? I mean, you're heading into some pretty crucial elections next week. Uh, How busy a time does it become uh, when these sorts of events approach? It gets
1: very busy. This is in part because one of the things that we try to do uh, at Stanford Internet Observatory is understand, um, you know, we we try to understand content flows and user behavior um, around what we consider to be kind of high stakes times and topics. Um, So there's always going to be people who are wrong on the internet, depending on what they're wrong about. This can be completely meaningless, just something that we don't even really have to pay attention to. But when you get to something like an election, and while we have the US midterms uh, a week from today, uh, there are always elections, you know, Brazil happened over the weekend. Um, The kind of information that people can receive in those moments can be particularly impactful. So leading up to an election You will see things like other state actors or incentivized domestic participants at times um, try to spread particular stories, try to make particular things go viral in hopes of improving the chances of the outcome that they want in that election. So we do a lot of work um, looking at the lead up to elections, again, not only in the US, but um, kind of around the world
0: yeah we have the Israeli election today, right you're right there's always some, there's always something going on where social media can have an impact I'm sure um one of the things I found interesting reading some of your previous works some of your previous interviews uh, we love to talk about state actors and i I want to ask you about that, but a lot of it's domestic, isn't it? A lot of it comes from from in from inside the house the phones from, <laughs> the phone calls coming from inside the house, so to speak.
1: Yes. So there's a couple of reasons for that. But, um, you know, a couple of seconds ago, we were talking about how ordinary people, just anybody with a social media account can kind of pick up content and move it from one platform to another. And if they have a decent sized following somewhere or if they tag in somebody who has a decent sized following, there's the potential for that information to go viral and to reach large numbers of people. Now, in prior media environments, the content that you got leading into an election would probably have just come from broadcast media. So you would see it on the television, on the radio, um, you would maybe read it in a paper, and you would discuss it with your social circle, but you wouldn't necessarily have the capacity to make something go wildly viral, right? And so that's a really different kind of information environment. It's a very profound power, and again, There are trade offs to all, you know, to all sorts of different types of power. And so in this case, the power to spread content to inform your community, which is fantastic, can in the wrong hands be to do something manipulative. And it's no longer state actors or governments who have that power. So this is the kind of interesting tension of social media democratizing the ability to shape the spread of information flows.
0: You have seen, though, uh, outside actors, there's an article in the Washington Post today in which you were quoted talking about uh, some new phenomenon or at least some new trends that you're seeing. Uh, what are you seeing these days and where is it coming from? And we, we know the usual suspects, you know, China, Russia, Iran. Uh, but where are you seeing it come from and what does it look like these days?
1: What we saw in the in the content that we looked at was different networks, again, there were six of them going after different segments of American political audiences. So some targeted kind of right-leaning accounts, what we call kind of um, MAGA, Make America Great Again, you know, supporters of President Trump. Uh, Some targeted progressives, um, particularly the sort of Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party, the further on the left in our political spectrum. And so what you see there is uh, these accounts, they create personas that look like they are members of those communities. You know, you're more likely to be receptive to a message if the speaker looks like somebody like you or seems to be kind of a member of your community. And so these accounts work to ingratiate themselves with real members of those communities. And then they try to amplify and to, uh, to spread kind of particularly, um, you know, content that promotes particular political or policy positions, sometimes with sort of the most extreme possible language, uh, you know, just kind of like uh, taking a, a partisan, you know, there are plenty of partisans in the world, but to just kind of add that extra layer of almost caricature, sort of over the top, but social media really responds to over the top people. Uh, and so, you know, you do see that that kind of um, persona dynamic happening there.
0: Um, you were saying about how these you found evidence, at least of Three different uh, networks of people, three potentially linked to China, three potentially linked to Iran, but how the targeting works now is not perhaps the way I think people have often thought it magnifies one side over the other, but in this case you're saying what they're trying to do instead is sort of sow division, so you take the the sort of the angriest parts on both sides and you amplify those messages instead
1: that's been a thing that we've seen from uh, you know from state uh, state linked or uh, operations like this for quite some time now again, not not even unique to the United States. This is something that we see uh, happening in other places as well. These kinds of activities are often used by political parties in, you know, in, in other countries. Again, there's the goal is to um, capture attention, rile up your people, make your message trend. And so if you can achieve that, you might be able to improve your your potential political outcomes. One of the networks that we saw that, you know, kind of something that I that I hadn't really seen before, was it chose to involve itself in what we call down-ballot races. Right. Um, so, you know, the county commissioner of a, of a random uh, place in Texas, you know, that's very specific. So that's pretty, pretty down-ballot.
0: I, mean, I mean, I wouldn't have, you know, yeah.
1: I didn't know who that no. person was, right? No.
0: We've seen the parties wake up to that stuff, too. So I imagine it's no surprise that, uh, that others have woken up to the fact that these down-ballot uh, results can have an impact.
1: Um, What we saw with that particular one was that it had a presence on Reddit, on Instagram, YouTube, it had a TikTok. But again, the goal was to spread across uh, the entirety of the social web so that different types of audiences might find you on different platforms uh, and to promote these particular candidates and their policies and at times links to their to their fundraising pages and things like that. And so it was interesting the degree of specificity seeing an endorsement for a county commissioner. Um, I think that's probably the first time we've seen something quite that granular.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, So that we don't accuse anyone unfairly here, but still, to imagine a group of people in a basement somewhere in Tehran thinking about the county commissioner election somewhere in rural Texas is pretty uh, is a pretty amazing, pretty amazing thought. How effective is it, do you think, this sort of spread of?
1: You know, it's interesting because oftentimes in the U.S., there are some races in our politics that are, uh, you know, kind of won by a thread, Um, and we did see this account kind of inserting itself into some of those Senate races. But at the same time, the kind of juggernaut of the Democratic and Republican political machines in the U.S. absolutely dwarf what these kind of uh, accounts are doing at the margins. And so, you know, it's kind of an interesting effort. It reinforces that they are still trying and it reinforces the need to continue to be vigilant around this, because the reason these accounts don't get super large, you know, we do see them with, you know, 30,000 followers and, you know, a couple hundred thousand engagements. um, But the reason that we don't see them get super large is because integrity teams like the ones at Twitter and Facebook or research teams like us at Stanford Internet Observatory or our co-authors on this report, uh, the Digital Forensics Research Lab, are... Trying to understand these things, trying to find them, and trying to disrupt them early, so that we don't have a repeat of the kinds of very large types of networks that we saw with Russia in the kind of 2016 to 2018 timeframe.
0: In that area, and and and, but it does continue to spread disinformation though to some extent, right? Or at least polarize it does. and exp- and, exp- and spread some of those things that uh, that we now know can can have quite a broad impact on society at large. How do you stop it? I guess I mean, I, I suppose you you just you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant in this case, right?
1: In my opinion, yes. I think it is the, again, for, for state actors, it's explaining. Uh, so first of all, it's the vigilance to find the networks and take them down, right? So that they are taken down when they are still small. So we can say things like, oh, this is great. It had no impact. The other thing though, is to explain to the public, here's how it works. Um, here, is the, here is the goal. Here are the tactics. Here are the methods. Here is how it's targeting your community, um, I think, you know, my sincere hope would be that writing up the things that we do on this front, particularly with the state actors, just helps people understand, not overreact to it, not assume that any, you know, that anybody that they see on Twitter from the opposite political point of view with a strong opinion is, a you know, a Russian, Iranian or Chinese troll. But to be aware that that, that kind of dynamic on social media is what influences and shapes conversation, that kind of outrage content, that kind of bait. Uh, And to perhaps create a, you know, public resilience in that way, not even so much to who the actor is, but just um, the kind of behavior and manifestation of that type of content.
0: Brené DeResta, it's fascinating. Thank you so much for your time tonight.
1: Thank you.